بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما وسلم وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد We're very close to the end This is our 25th session and we've almost finished after Asr will be our final session inshallah we'll be completing our journey of the book of Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim Rahmatullah Ali Adda'u Wa also known as Al-Jawab Al-Kafi Liman Sa'ala Ali Dawa Al-Shafi So the question that came to Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim Rahmatullah Ali and said, O oh, respected Imam, what do the distinguished scholars say regarding a person who is stuck in a sin and he knows that this sin is harmful for him in the world and also the hereafter. He's tried everything to get out of this sin, but just can't get out of it. Rather, it's becoming more and more difficult. Is there a way out? And Imam Ibn Qayyim set out to give him an explanation and a detailed answer, practical advice of what to do. And in doing so, it's become a whole book. And Alhamdulillah, just like Allah has helped us to reach this stage of Ramadan, this stage of our fast month, final and the last fast of Ramadan, may Allah accept you all. In the same way we are, uh, we didn't think, well I didn't think we'll make it till here, but Alhamdulillah, we've got to almost the end of the kitab, we're right towards the end, he's concluding and wrapping up now, and we have these two sessions left. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept everything that we've studied up until now. May Allah forgive the so many shortcomings that I have made in trying to deliver this message. And most importantly, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to practically implement the lessons and the advices that have been imparted by Imam Ibn Qayyim in his work over here. So this is session 25. Is there anyone who's been here for, for every session from the beginning till now, so far? Anyone who's been here in all of the sessions, not missed? On YouTube. Okay, I'm not talking about physically being present here. You've missed on YouTube. Okay. There's one. Oh, oh no. You missed two. There's, there's a brother who sits there. He's always here. He's not here today. He's an ethic after. He's, I'm, I'm sure he's been here for all of them. Um, but it's, it's ironic because today when I'm asking, he's, he's not here. But I'm, I'm sure he, he's an ethic after, so he should be around. But I, he, he's someone I've seen throughout. Uh, but the others have been coming and going, Alhamdulillah. Um, but may Allah accept it from us all. So, Yesterday evening, we said that Imam Ibn al-Qayyim came to a stage in the book where he said, look, we're finishing off now. Here he comes, mashallah. We were just remembering him, mashallah. We said, is there anyone who's been present in every session since we've started? Oh, you, you've, you've missed one as well. Oh, okay. Mashallah. So he said, we're coming to a conclusion now when we're finishing the book. And he said, we're going to finish on saying, how do you break out from the sin 
of being attracted to physical external beauty if someone falls in love and it's an illicit relationship how do you break out from it so he said if you remember we said i'm going to tell you two ways one is going to be a preventative measure okay and then he split that into two preventative measure there's two things you need to do number one lower your gaze and then he gave us 10 benefits of lowering the gaze and the second one is you need to create and develop a higher love than the one that you've got and create a stronger fear than the one that you have now of losing your beloved or upsetting her or whatever it is you need to create a deeper fear and a higher love so those were two preventatives now he's saying remember i told you there's two cures i'm going to show you two ways one was preventative and there were two ways of doing that and the second one is what he's explaining now and that's to do with where people are uh, attached to external physical beauty we can call it ish we can call it infatuation when you're just mad about somebody okay so he's saying that there's a and you can't stop thinking of somebody the harms of that so he said in the Quran, Allah speaks about this in two places. One is when he spoke about the people of Lut That's what they were involved in. Okay. Um, and, and that was um, sodomy, homosexuality. Same thing though. It was attraction. Apparent external attraction that was driving them uh, to what they were doing. And the same, uh, a similar kind of thing was done by the wife of the minister of Egypt when she tried to seduce Yusuf Again, that was just going for external physical form. And then we went on to speaking about Yusuf story. Imam Ibn Qayyim says his situation was very different. Whereas he was in a situation that there was a very strong power of pull. And there was nothing that was stopping him from falling into that trap. Nothing at all. Rather, we counted how many? Almost, was it 13? 13 things that were pulling him towards her. And things like the fact that he was a man. The fact that he was a youth. The fact that he was in her house. The fact that he was in a strange land. The fact that he, she threatened him. That if you don't carry out this act with me, I'm going to imprison you. I'm going to put you, punish you. The fact that she planned it. She orchestrated it. She schemed it all. He had nothing to do with it. And so many other things like this, he was single and she was very beautiful. She wasn't a prostitute or anything. She was a royalty. Okay, this, these things don't come easy. So there was all of these things and there was no fear of him being blamed. He, his name would not have been taught. If he went ahead with it, he didn't have to worry about it at all. It wasn't going to come out. No one would have known and no one would have said anything to him because he didn't play any part in it whatsoever. And one of the final things we said was, her husband wasn't very manly in the sense that he, he wouldn't care less. He knew about it. He knew about it. Why? Because he lived in their house. He lived in their house. Day and night he was there. He was doing the errands for them. Yusuf get this. Yusuf do this. Yusuf come here. Yusuf go there. So, and, and that's one of the reasons why she fell for him. Because of the free mixing that was happening. And that Imam Ibn Qayyim said that, look, this is why these things end up happening. And when people speak about free mixing and why it's not a good idea, this is the whole reason. Where it, that's how it starts. That's how it starts. Um, so, this is where we came up to and we concluded on this uh, after Salatul Asr. Um, so, now we are going to move on and 
So if I was just giving you an explanation of what Ishq is, one in the form of the story of Lut which we're already aware of, and in the story of Yusuf which we know, but we probably didn't see from this angle, how much she was involved, okay, from her part. Um, she went like crazy about it. Um, and then the women of Egypt were crazy as well, because they were all in on it as well. She got all of them to plan it with them. So it wasn't just her, she got all of them to plan it with her. And then when they kind of blamed her, like, why are you going for a slave? It's only when he came out and they realized how beautiful he was and handsome he was, they cut their fingers and we know the story. Anyhow, now Imam Ibn Qayyim rahmatullahi is saying, This is such a disease, he calls it a disease, ishq, infatuation, when you fall in love with someone in a haram relationship. Because this is such a disease, it's actually tired out the doctors and the psychologists. They've, they've got tired, meaning they've got tired of trying to treat it. They've tried all different methods and it's really, really hard. They really struggle to try and treat. It's easy to treat someone with cancer, but to treat someone who's got the disease of ishq, infatuation, falling in love with someone, because it's very difficult. And he says, He says, Wallahi, it's a very deadly disease. It's a poison that kills. It's a poison that kills. He says basically, it's one of those things that once you get in, it is very difficult to come out. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. That's the whole idea. He's giving hope to this person who came and asked the question. There is a way out for him. Is there a way out for him? I don't think there is. That's why he stepped in and the whole book is there. If he didn't have hope, he wouldn't have prepared this whole book and this whole answer. Of course there's hope for you, but it's not something that comes just overnight. Um, it's possible, but it's not easy. Now he's going to explain to us, This ishq, he's trying to give us a deeper understanding of... Because it's so common, people falling in love with someone, having an affair with someone, dating somebody, seeing somebody, going out with somebody, playing around with somebody, whatever name you want to give it. It's so common. It's common amongst youth already, right? And now you're getting it from even a younger age, but it's even common in married people, religious people. You've got crazy things happening like wife swapping and stuff like this, crazy things that you wouldn't have imagined amongst religious people as well. And that's, you know, because, we're, we're affected by the culture that we live in, by the West. And these things, you know, people get tired out of the same thing. They want to try out something new. It's a buzz. It's, and it's all about this issue. It's about external physical form, not about the substance. So you name it. You know, I mean, I, I don't need to sit here and list all the things that are happening out there. There's a lot going on. May Allah protect us. And we can't hide away from it. We can't pretend it's not happening. But it all comes down to this. Because just because it's happening so frequently, that doesn't mean that it's not bad anymore. We've treated it as if it's, it's, not, oh, it's normal now. Everyone does it. Big deal. So what? So what? I've got a girlfriend like, big deal. Get over it. What's, what's the big deal about it? If I'm seeing somebody, if I'm friends with somebody, what's the big deal about it? Okay. Is there anything wrong with it? Um, but there is a big deal. He's, he's trying to say there is a big deal about it. Just because it's common, 
people are doing it and you feel kind of left out what you know people like in in, in secondary school now at younger age you know friends will come out what you're still a virgin like how can you not have done it and, and you get picked on you get picked on for being chaste for being pious for being a virgin like that's something as if it's something bad so there's so much peer pressure so people don't think it's something wrong if you're having if you're having an affair with somebody if you're dating somebody if you're seeing somebody oh yeah, everyone does it what's wrong with it okay so he's gonna now explain to us remember what he said earlier he said a person would only do something that's harmful for you in the future because one of two reasons either out of ignorance you don't know that it's harmful for you or because of was the second one zulm zulm what does zulm mean oppression the literal meaning of zulm meaning putting something where it doesn't belong okay your, what, that action that you're doing, it's not the right, that's not the right place to do it. That's not the right way of going about it. You're putting it in the wrong place. This is vulnerable, it's oppression. So who doesn't know it's haram? Everybody knows it's haram. So you can't be the first one. You can't be doing it out of ignorance. So people are doing it out of vulnerable. And you don't realize, you think you're living in a fantasy world, having the time of your life, okay, enjoying yourself, going out on your date, okay. Can't wait till Ramadan ends so you can meet up again. Right? This is, this is, this is normal. And this is what, it, it, it's funny, we talk about it in such a casual way, but this is, this is very normal. Okay? I'll talk to you after iftar. Like, I'm fasting now. So it, 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 and we find it really sweet and cute, and it, we laugh about it, and it's, you know, it's as if like, we've like, Islamicized it. Okay, so you, you've got this thing going on, and we've made it really Islamic. Okay, remember in your duas, like that Tahajjud time kind of thing, and all this kind of stuff. So, Shaitan plays with us. And Quran tells us this that Zuyina lil nasi hubbu shahawati minan nisa. It's Quran. Shaitan beautifies the desire that you have for women. Zuyina lil nasi hubbu shahawati minan nisa. Shaitan beautifies this. Okay, so this, we're men naturally, you're inclined to a woman. Okay, it happens. But what happens is that particular sin is then further beautified and adorned even more. And you think you're doing something really good. I'm teaching her Islam. She's really good for my Iman, you know. A lot of people, I've spoke to so many people. She's really good, you know. Like before I met her, I never used to pray. I never used to fast. She's really good, you know. She's, you know, she, you know, I, I, we meet up in the canteen and stuff. Sometimes I'm feeling down. You know, she brings me something to eat. You know, at home things are difficult. Parents don't really care. Sometimes I go without eating anything. I'm, I'm depressed and everything. She brings me pasta. She brings me this. She brings me that. And these are real life examples I'm, I'm sharing with you. Uh, uh, there's not one person. There's not one. Oh, the, the guy or the girl? Oh, okay. But she's, she seems to be taken already. So, well, actually, this particular individual I'm talking about, um, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, I hope he's not listening. Alhamdulillah, um, he's married now. He's married now. Um, after a long, long, you know, period of struggle, Alhamdulillah, he's married. Uh, I'm the one who conducted his nikah. It was the most strangest nikah that's ever happened. Two o'clock in the morning. Um, Alhamdulillah. He's got children as well, mashallah. May Allah be pleased with him. 
and uh, yeah, he, his intention was pure from the beginning, and he wanted to do it right, but it just it didn't work for so long. But alhamdulillah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so what's happening here is Imam Ibn Qayyim rahmatullah, is going to teach us now and show us that this ishq, you can't just because everyone's doing it, that doesn't mean it's okay. There's levels of ishq. How serious can this become? Um, I don't think we, well, myself, prior to me coming across it in here, I never thought of it myself as something as serious as he's explaining it now. Especially those of you who've been following from, from the beginning or even from halfway since we've started talking about love, you'll kind of get this and you'll think, whoa, this is, this is much more serious. Um, so let's go straight into it. Who are some? So this issue that people have, um, where you know you you the, your beloved is like becomes your object kind of thing. It's got different types. Number one, he says, Sometimes this ishq, this love, can be kufr. This ishq can turn into kufr. How? Remember, he doesn't leave anything unexplained. If somebody was to make their beloved their idol, their god, not, not physical god, people say this, I worship you. Yeah, it's very common. I'd do anything for you. Just like you should love Allah if you give that type of love to another human being, right? He says, imagine this is happening because you end up having love for that person more than Allah. More than Allah. This is a type of ishq. The person involved in it won't be forgiven because it borderlines with kufr and shirk. Remember Allah says, Allah will forgive any sin but not shirk. Remember we said the different types of love and one is mahabbat ash-shirkiyya, the polytheistic love. When you start, that's what happens. When people go into this, okay, what happens is that it takes over you so much soul, you won't be willing to do anything for Allah's sake, but for her sake to do anything. Right? وَلَا يَشْتَعَلَتْ نَارَهُ فِي مُحَدَّةٍ إِلَّا وَصَعْبٍ عَلَى الْخَلْقِ تَخْلِيسُهَا مِنْ نَارٍ So this is, um, sorry. Uh, she says this type of love ish, is the greatest type of shirk Allah doesn't forgive those who ascribe partners with him yes if somebody makes sincere tawbah and repentance Allah will forgive it but if somebody dies without repenting that is a type of shirk now he's saying okay how do I know that the ishq I've got is of that category or not if somebody's in this how do you know that the love or the illicit relationship that you fell into, does it fall into this category or not? The sign, what is the sign? This is the sign of this type of shirki, kufri, ishq, an infatuation. That you give preference to the to the to the needs and the wants of your beloved over the wants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah tells you do this, don't do this, that's not important. You give priority and preference to what she says, what she wants. 
regardless of what Allah says, even if you have to break your connection with Allah, even if you have to commit a sin, even if you have to overlook some of the injunctions This is whenever there's a competition where you've got one of Allah's rights okay, and then you've got something that your beloved wants. When this competition comes and these two things come and if someone gives preference to what she wants from me okay, what she's asking for over what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants and this is now this is the differentiating factor and you spend or you not spend in fact to spend but over here was it you sacrifice that thing which is the most precious to you for a mu'min for a muslim in this world what's the most precious thing Iman, okay, but that's quite general. We say that, yeah, okay. Let's try and... Okay, pleasure of Allah, Iman. I'm looking for a certain term to get to, sort of for us to understand this better. So they're correct, but I'm looking for a certain term. Yeah, that's also correct. What's the most valuable, precious thing for a Muslim in this world? All of these things are correct. Huh? Even that, it's all interlinked, right? Let me tell you what I'm, the words that I want to, you to sort of see it with. Your relationship with Allah. Okay, so it includes all of these. But you'll understand it much better. The most valuable and precious thing for a Muslim, it's not your wealth, it's not your house, it's not your property, it's not your family. It's your relationship with Allah. Imam ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah is saying, if you are willing to sacrifice your relationship with Allah for her or because of her, that shows that you fell into this type of love, which is very dangerous. Because you've given up your, the most valuable thing to you. Okay, money is fine. It comes and goes. We've been discussing this. Things of the world come and go. But there's only one thing that is irreplaceable, there is no substitute for, and that is your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't fill that gap and that void with anything else. That's the most valuable thing. If Allah has given you, and you have some kind of friendship with Allah, even if it's to a lower level, and if I'm willing to sacrifice that and give up on that for someone else in this world, Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim Rahmatullah is it's really serious. It's not a small sin. It's one of the greatest sins that can be done in this world. No one thinks of it that way. It's actually, it's going to come across a bit weird, this right? So like, get ready for it, okay? And don't misquote me, okay? Understand what I'm saying. And he's going to explain this further as well. It's more serious than zina as well. Now, you guys might be thinking, well, how can that be? Okay, that doesn't mean you can go and do zina instead. No, no. But I'm going to explain it as we go ahead. Because what this does to you, okay, if somebody goes out and commits zina, it's really bad. It's a great sin. We recognize it as a sin. That's the difference, you see. Zina is recognized as a sin. This isn't. 
But what this does to you can be much more detrimental, even more than zina as well, because it stings your heart. You've, give, you've lost it. A person might do zina, but feel horrible and do toba and become really close to Allah. Not to say, go and do zina and then do toba. I'm not saying that. Whereas when a person in this, you've lost, it's gone. There's no realization, there's no feeling because you've given it away. You've given it away. Two different things altogether. So, فَتَأَمَّلْ هَذَا فَتَأَمَّلْ حَالَ أَكْثَرُ أُشَّاقِ الصُّوَحِ He says, most of the people that fall for the looks and the external features and ishq, infatuation, هَلْ تَجِدُهَا مُطَابِقَةً لِذَلِكَ Do they find themselves in this, like if you were to read this, don't you find most people actually fall into this most serious category? Right? This is what... He goes, look, simple. Put your love for your beloved in one scale, okay, or in one palm, you okay, your ma'shuqa, your whatever her name is, right? You put her in there. And on the other side, you put your tawheed and your iman. And he goes, just way out. Who do you love more? Not just by saying it. Words are cheap. It's actions that prove it. Because sometimes, sometimes, some people are open and honest and they say it. That in all honesty, if you were to ask me, I love her more than Allah. Some people are, he's saying some people openly say it. He says this type of ishq and love is the highest level of shirk a person can fall into. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding and protection. Now he's going to say something, it's going to sound contradictory to what I've just said, right, in regards to zina, but I'm going to explain it. He goes, you can't compare falling in love with somebody and actually going out and committing zina. Because obviously zina is really bad. You're not going to say, okay, you'd rather commit zina than have a girlfriend, okay? No, you can't compare the two. But what he is saying, he said, okay, you wouldn't compare, but if this ishq is prolonged, this love and this affair is prolonged and it steals your heart. He's taken this from very pious people. Do you know what he said? Right, this is Ibn al-Qayyim saying this. He says, some of the shuyukh from the arifin, meaning the extremely pious people who recognize and reach the ultimate love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they would say, now again, don't misquote this, this is a hypothetical scenario. They're just saying this, they don't mean it. They're just giving an explanation. It's a hypothetical, not real scenario. They're saying, لَأَنْ أُبْتُلِيَ بِالْفَاحِشَةِ مَعَ تِلْكَ السُّورَةِ 
احب الي من ان ابتلي فيها بعشق يتعبد لها قلبي ويشغله عن الله because if i these, these pious people would say if we were given a choice like you've got one of two things either with this same person either go and commit zina okay or on the flip side have an affair where your heart is basically always just imprisoned always thinking about her mad over her these pious arifin shuyukh would say we would choose we'd rather be one of that category that committed zina and it was over than be in the category of those who fall into ishq and that's prolonged because in this what happens your heart is stolen and you've lost your connection with, with a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like I said I have to say again and again this is a hypothetical scenario it's not real they're just giving you an understanding to explain how serious ishq infatuation and that type of love affair is because your heart's overtaken somebody else owns your heart and the heart is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now he's coming to the crux of it he's saying the cure for this deadly disease what's the cure then up until now we've been mentioning the harm the effects the levels right what's the cure he's saying the cure for this deadly disease he mentions three things here First of all, you need to recognize what kind of deadly disease you're involved in, which is totally contradictory to your Tawheed and La ilaha illallah. You need to understand the seriousness of this crime. That's number one. Learn, study, understand. Because that's, that's the first step. Most people don't know. They might know, but they don't know how serious it is. How contradictory it is to your tawheed and your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's number one. The second thing he mentions here is, Because the second thing you need to do is engage and busy yourself with external and internal worship in a way that it engages your mind away from her or him whoever it is like that's another thing he's saying you should do um engage in as much external internal ibadah as possible and number three he's saying number three is you should plead and cry to allah oh allah help me only you can help me asking Allah to take that love out of your heart and fill your heart with the love of Allah. The beautiful dua of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma inni asaluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk wal amal alladhi yubaldiguna ila hubbik. Oh Allah, I ask for your love and the love of those that you love and those actions which are beloved to you. Allahumma inni asaluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk wal amal alladhi yubaldiguna hubbak. A very beautiful dua. And he mentioned the fourth thing as well. Because there is no greater cure for this than uh, doing things which, which are exclusive 
for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, this was quite general, but he's given like one, two, three, four. But he's going to come back to what he's been mentioning earlier in terms of the cure. So in terms of the cure, there are two things mainly that he mentions. Two things. Okay. Remember what he said? There's two types of cures. One's preventative. Okay. And there are two ways of doing that. Number one, lowering the gaze. And number two, developing a higher love, developing a deeper fear. And the second one is dealing with it from the source. In that, he says there's two ways of dealing with that. If you already, already fell into this sin of ish, two ways of doing it. Number one, you need to know the harms of ish. You need to know. You know how like you, you've got these businesses, right? These companies, these corporations, how they bombard you with their marketing, right? It's you don't just you don't just not feel like buying a new phone just like that, okay? You don't feel like you know going and tasting a new product just like that. How much bombardment and marketing you get through billboards, through signs, on bus stops, on buses, and then through messages social media and you're hearing about it you're seeing adverts for it again and again and again and again and that that is what creates within you this desire okay so similarly and, 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 and on the flip side maybe the harms of something okay if you keep coming across them again and again and again and again it turns you away from something so similarly over here as well um, you need to just like these corporations they bombard you with their marketing you need to bombard yourself with that kind of knowledge that teaches you the harms of this type of issue. We have to keep reading about it, hearing about it, talking about it, studying it, so that it becomes ingrained within a person and you start to believe in it. You know, we know it, but it's not, it's not there. We know about it, but it's not there. That's number one. And number two, the second thing, which concludes what we're speaking about, the second thing he says, which is going to come now is we just have to learn how to prioritize the love of Allah this is this is the key point here learning how to prioritize the love of Allah doesn't it come back to those two things S strong perception strong heart the strong perception is the knowledge where you learn the harms okay you should be able to see and distinguish between right and wrong so you need a strong mind strong perception and the strong heart is the willpower that can you prioritize the love of Allah over the love of everyone, everything else. So this is what he concludes on and brings it to. Now he's saying, okay, I'm not going to leave you to it. Okay, you're going to think, oh, he's left it. No, he doesn't do that anywhere in this book. Whenever he mentions any point, he explains it, he gives an example, and then he breaks it down for you. He goes, look, I'm going to give it to you. You, I'm not just going to leave you to it. I'm going to give. Now he's going to give us the harms of ishq. Some of you still might be thinking, like, what's so bad about it? Like, if you if you're seeing somebody, trying with somebody, having enough, what's wrong with it? Like, everyone's doing it. It's not that bad. How how bad can it be if everyone's doing it? I know really like decent people doing it as well, and they seem to be alright. They half of the Quran. Yeah, some of them half of the Quran. Some of them pray in the front stuff. Some of them got a big beard. Some of them have been for Hajj. So one guy's a son of a Mawlwi as well. We say these kind of things to try and just, this is shaitan, beautifying. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who they are. Okay. So he's going to now list a few harms of ish, this type of 
لاف ومن المعلوم انه ليس في عشق الصور مصلحة دينية ولا دنيوية is this type of عشق where you fall for physical external form the looks you fall for it there's no benefit worldly benefit in it and there's no benefit of the hereafter بل مفسدته الدينية والدنيوية أضعاف الأضعاف ما يقدر فيه من المصلحة The, the harms, worldly harms and hereafter harms are numerous. You can multiply them. There are so many because we can't even list them here. He wasn't going to list a few. Because there's a few reasons why this ishq that we're talking about, infatuation, where you fall in love with somebody and you have an affair. Why is it so bad? What's wrong with it? Someone's going to come up to you and say, what's so bad about it? What's so wrong with it? Come on, like. Come with that one, can it? What's wrong with it? He's going, let, let me tell you what's wrong with it. Number one. Al-ishtighar bi-hubbi al-makhluqi wa dhikruhu an-hubbi al-rahmani ta'ala fala yajtami'u fi al-qalbi hadha wa hadha illa wa yuqahhiru ahaduhu ma sahibuhu wa yakunu al-sultan wal-ghalabata lahu. He said the first harm of ishq, infatuation, haram love, is it distracts you from Allah. It distracts you from Allah. You can't have two loves in your heart. You're going to have one or the other. You might be thinking, well, people love their wife, people love their kids. People, what about that? Okay, some people are really... And the Prophet himself, he says that three things of the world have been made beloved to me. Number one, Hubbiba ilayya an-nisa. This is women. Women have been made beloved to me. He liked his women, his wives, halal wives. He loved them. He loved them a lot. He spent a lot of time with them. He was very nice to them. He was very romantic with them. You'd be surprised if you were to read some of the things he would do with his wives. You'd think, wow, really? Like we don't even think, I know, we've never grown up in that kind of environment, especially within our kind of parents or grandparents. They're like, oh, make the tea kind of thing. He's, he's there and she's there and, you know, you walk into the house looking at alaikum. she's over there and he's looking that way. Okay, we've not seen that kind of love. Okay, the love they have is kind of different. But their marriages last, don't they? Like for years. It's, a, it's very different. We, we can never understand that. Okay, but it's there. Like the, 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 the wife has to probably never call the husband by the name. And the husband's never called the wife by the name. Hey, that's... Uh, Okay, that's, that's, that's the name. Okay, so it's, it's very different. Younger people nowadays, obviously, we've got a lot of influence from Western culture. But it's not just that. We're Muslims at the end of the day. And it's not an Islamic to address the husband or the wife by their name. That's not an Islamic. Okay, the Prophet did. Okay, and that's not an Islamic. And so some things are cultural. So we're not going to kind of say we have to go according to that. So when we study, our, our like yardstick is the sunnah, not culture. So if you look into the seal of the Prophet he said three things of the world have been made very beloved to me. One is women. Number two is perfume. He loved his perfume. And Sahaba would say, we just know which street he's gone to. We say perfume. In uh, Urdu, originally Farsi, but in Urdu it's called khushbu. Some people apply perfume, it's not khushbu, it's badbu. Okay, so make sure it's 
the Prophet ﷺ would use very good perfume, good quality, expensive stuff. It wasn't just the cheap stuff that you buy for a pound, okay, and it gives you the whole stuff's got a headache now, okay? So you have to be mindful, okay? It, it, it should be good good stuff. The Prophet ﷺ used very good kind of perfume. It didn't give people a headache. It was nice stuff, original stuff, not synthetic stuff, okay? It was original perfume, what you'd call perfume. And the third thing is the coolness of my eyes is in Salah. He loves Salah. Okay, so th that was the Prophet We see about the other Prophets as well. Right? You know, they had multiple wives and they spent their time with the families really well. But there was a balance there. When it was time for Salah, then that's it. It's as if they didn't recognize each other. But other than that, they were very family-oriented people. Tell me, the Prophet from the age of... Um, like, okay, when we study the seerah, no, I know, digressing a bit, but when we study the seerah, we kind of speak about, um, the earliest we speak about him was when he's young, right, when he's born, um, and then the incident that happened where his heart is sort of split, chest is split, then we kind of skip quite a bit until he's 12 and he goes to the Syria and he comes back, and then we skip a bit and we go to 25 when he gets married to Khadija. Then what? When's the next you spoke about him? 40? How many years is that? 15 years. Right? We, that's a big jump, guys. 15 years. Of, that's prime life, guys. From the age of 25, we just got married for the first time. And then the next we spoke, speak about him is 40. What was he doing for many years? What was he doing? He's building his family, spending time with his kids. That's what he was doing, because that's when he had his children. Most of his children were from Khadija radiallahu anha. That's what, because afterwards he gets extremely busy, he's got responsibility, he's still a family person. But this is where he was there, he was there, he was, this is, this is what we find. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, other than that as well, even afterwards, you see, he was a very family-oriented person. He spent a lot of time with his wives. Even when he had multiple wives, he'd visit every wife every day. And he'd ask them, do you need anything? Any shopping, any groceries? There was a fixed time after Asr where he would go to the house of every wife. Even when he wasn't their turn. Everything okay in the house? Anything you need? And somebody asked one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, um, you know, can you describe the Prophet in the house? Like we see him outside, but what's he like at home? We can't see that, we don't know. You know, you're lucky. So they'd say, well, just like any other man should be in the house. Like, what do you mean? Well, he sometimes sweeps up, sweeps up in the house. If there's dust on the floor, although they didn't have vacuums, but he got his brushes up. If his clothes rip and there's a tear, he gets a needle and a thread. He doesn't go to his wife and can you sew this for me? Okay, he, he does it himself, he patches it up himself. Um, if there's no milk in the house, he goes out and he milks the goats and he brings milk. He does the shopping. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it's amazing because when he, then at the age of 40, when he got revelation, right? He was terrified because he had never had an experience like that ever before. He saw Jibreel, verses of the Quran came down. And it was very extraordinary experience. He didn't know what was happening. At that time, he did not know what was happening. And he was terrified. Quran speaks about this. 
absolutely terrified. Some books of Hadith and Sirah even mention that he even at one point contemplated going up to a mountain, up to a cliff and he was about to jump off thinking, what is happening with me? Jibreel came and told him, you're the messenger of Allah, don't, don't, don't jump off now. This is serious stuff. You have been chosen to be the messenger of Allah. This is how confused he was in the beginning in the sense that he hadn't had this experience. So in this worry, in this kind of fear, in this kind of trembling situation, where did he go? Khadija, he went running home to his wife. He had that bond with her. Okay, can you see he was very close to his women. He, he went running to his wife and she embraced him. And then again, it wasn't a one-sided thing. The words that she said to him and consoled him with, they'll be remembered forever. And he said, do you know what? I'm going to get destroyed. I'm, 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 I'm losing my mind. And it's as if I think something's going to come and destroy me. Something just happened. And that's going to, it's going to cause the end of me. And what did Khadija say? No, never. A man like you, with the qualities that you have, you will never be destroyed. You will never be let down. You will never, ever, no one's ever, no being is ever going to ever do anything bad to you. Why? You're too kind. You help people out. You support the orphans and the needy. You work for good causes. If somebody can't afford anything, you'll go out and earn just to provide for them. Allah will never let you down. So that was Khadija radiallahu anha. And the beautiful thing is the life of the Prophet sallallahu his mission of prophethood started in the arms of Khadija. And when he left this world, he was lying in the lap of Aisha. His head, Aisha says, Allah bless with you so many blessings. One of them was when the Messenger وسلم, passed away, his blessed head was here. He was lying in, in, uh, uh, between the chest and the lap of Aisha. That's how he passed away. This is the greatest man. It's, it, it's not being any, does that make him any less of a man? Okay. He was the greatest man that ever came to the face of this earth. Many people think that, you know, spending time with your family is not that manly. Okay. You need to be a bit, you know be out of the house and let them do their own thing and ignore them and be, be a bit, you know, strong on them, you know, kind of put your power on them and shout at them and oppress them and like, you know, keep them all suppressed and everything. The Prophet said, The best of you are those who are best to their wives. And if you want an example, I am the best towards my wives from the whole world. My character towards my wife is the best in the whole of the world. So he started, his mission started in the arms of Khadija and he ended in the lap of Aisha radiallahu anha. It's an example. This was Sira, not culture. Okay, if we were to look at culture, it, it, that, it looks very different. Look at Sira, how different it is. Okay, this is the Sira of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Sorry, I went a little bit the other way. Um, but it, it's just to explain that when we speak about these things, it doesn't mean Islam's anti-women or Islam recognizes that men are inclined to women, women are inclined to men. It's a very natural thing, of course it is, but there's a way of doing it. And in the halal way, so yeah, the question came from here. Someone might say that a husband loves their wife and the Prophet did. He loved his wives. He loved that somebody asked him, who do you love the most? He didn't say, I love Allah the most. He said, I love Aisha. Of course, because the question was regarding the people of the world. 
says, yeah, I love it. He was open about it. He didn't shy away, oh, what people are going to say. If someone comes and asks you now, okay, we'll be shy to say, I love my wife the most. We wouldn't say that. Okay, we'd probably say something else. We'd probably say, oh, one of my teachers or something, or I love this scholar or something, okay, or this, you know, sheikh or something. We'd, we'd probably end up saying that, okay? But the reality is, he, these were, they were honest people. He said it as it was, and that was the truth. But remember what we said, that love for his wife, why did he love her? Because of Allah. Can you see? That's loving for the sake of Allah. Because Allah has told you, that's why. And what differentiated it? Because Aisha says, anha, the Prophet وسلم, would be in the house, would be having a nice chat, would be talking, would be having a really nice time. When the Mu'addin would say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, it's as if he didn't recognize it. That, that's what tells you that that love that he had for her was for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah's love came, time to go. Well, that's why when he laid down with her in the bed in the most intimate moment, they were very, very close. And then after a bit, he said, Aisha, we've had some time together now. Give me permission. I want to go and talk to my Allah. Can I go and talk to my Allah? And she goes, sure, of course. I'm not going to come between you and Allah because I know that your love for Allah is, is up there. I know you love me the most from all of your women, but your love for Allah, that's something else. So they recognize this. So it's not as if, you know, it's just sometimes we kind of think, oh, Islam, you know, it's just, it's, it's really hard and we can't do this and why not allowed to do it? No, there's a way of doing everything. It, Islam, it's a very natural, Islam is a deen of fitrah. It recognizes all of these human needs. Thus, there is a way of doing it. There's a time and place for everything. You do it in the halal way, not only do you get fun and pleasure, you get rewarded for it. The Prophet told the Sahaba, what did he say? He goes, you know, saying Subhanallah is Sadaqah, saying La ilaha illallah is Sadaqah, removing something that causes difficulty to somebody from the path, from a trip over a branch, removing it is Sadaqah. He said, fulfilling your desire sexually with your wife is Sadaqah. Sahaba said, what? Really? Like we're having fun there, enjoying ourselves, getting pleasure. Why? How would that be salatah? And the Prophet said, well, imagine you did it in a haram way. What would happen? They said, well, we'd get sin for it. If you get sin for the haram, you should get reward for the halal. He said, putting a morsel of food in your wife's mouth, he said, it's salatah. And this is something he taught. This is an act of reward. So, okay, so the first harm of ishq is it distracts from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what happens is one of the loves, when you've got two loves in the heart, one's gonna take, one's gonna kick the other one out. So what's gonna happen? This haram love is gonna kick out the love of Allah. That's why it's very harmful. Number one. Number two. Ishq is a punishment, is a constant punishment for the heart. Constant punishment. Think why I kind of enjoy it, I'm loving it. Okay, I feel good. But I feel good that I've got someone. Okay, have you got her? Have you really got her? No, that's that's why you're being punished. What's the punishment? The punishment is in a lot of scenarios, you can't get her. You love her, you want her, but you can't have her. That's the punishment in itself. Every day, constantly, you can't get her for whatever reason, X, Y, and Z reasons. Maybe she's from a different background, from a different culture. Maybe your age is different. Maybe your parents don't agree. Maybe it's just not going to happen. Maybe, 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 there's a hundred maybes. 
Is there is any point of this issue? No. It's just driving you mad. It's a punishment. Okay, you might think, okay, what if I end up getting her? Okay, if you end up getting her, we're not talking about nikah, we're talking about just this affair. I've got her, she's, you know, I, I've got access to her, it's fine. She loves me back as well. Well, now your heart is being punished by something else. What's it being punished by? The fear of losing her. Every single time. Your phone rings, who's that? Are you sure? Are you sure? Where, where were you yesterday? Constantly you're living in this, all the time. All the time. How come, what, you know when my friends were over yesterday, right? I saw you looking at them like in a different way. Is this something going, this, this, is, this is what happens. So it's either you can't get her, and if you have her, you're fearing losing her. So he's saying that the second harm of the issue is your heart is constantly in punishment. Either this way or that way. That's the second harm. Number three. He says, the heart of the Ashik is imprisoned in the fist of your beloved. She owns it. It's locked up. You're not free. You might think, oh, you know, this is freedom. I'm doing what I want. I've gone against all my brothers and sisters and uncles and aunties. Everybody, not listen to anyone. I'm a liberal. I'm free. Free spirit, I'll do what I want. You're the most imprisoned person, why? Because she, she's, she's holding your heart like this. She says, come now, you go. Doesn't matter where you are. I'm at work, I'm at work. Don't call me now. She still calls, what do you do? <laughs> oh, there's something going on here. Anyway. And this, this all comes up if, if, for example, and then, so that's one way, if she's calling, imagine you call her and she doesn't respond. Call again, she doesn't respond. You can see she's online. It says online. You're sending a message, the blue ticks have appeared. And she's ignoring you. What happens to you then? You start thinking bad. Now, now you, she's, she's controlling you. you. Your heart is, she's controlling you. This is what, can you see how bad it is? He's trying to explain to us step by step that this is no joke. This is no, this is no small sin. This is a huge sin. The life of an ashik, a lover, is that like the life of someone who's Imprisoned, shackled, totally locked up, fully under control. That's the, that's the life. If you want to sum up the life of somebody who's in this infatuated love, he's put it very clearly. Al-Asir al And a prisoner who's just totally in a very strict prison. Chained up, locked up, shackled, can't move. You can't go, you can't go right, you can't go left. Because if you go this way, you might get upset. If you go this way, you might lose it. If you, if you do this, so you don't know. You, you just you just don't know what to do. So you're fully under control. Number four. He says the fourth harm of ishq, of infatuation, haram love, is a time comes 
when you end up stop, you stop caring about everything and everyone. If you're studying and you get, you fall into this relationship, what happens soon, you start losing interest in your studies. You start losing interest in your work. You lose interest in your friends. Everyone notices around you. Like, you're not the same, bro. What's, what's wrong? Everything okay? Is everything okay? Hey, I'm talking to you. Hey, the guy's gone. He's not there. He's gone. Nothing's interesting anymore. Nothing's important anymore. Whether it be family, whether it be, you know, personal, regular with the masjid, with the Quran, with just being with family, just doing this and that, and even hobbies. And, how, how come we not come football anymore? No, no, I don't feel like it. How, come on, like you, like you were the first one there. You were always there. You used to get everyone else ready. Without you, it doesn't feel like it. No, no, no I'm, not, I'm not feeling up to it. This, it, you stop caring about everything, and you just drop everything. Number five, the psalmist. <laughs> Uh, he says that calamities for a person who falls in haram love, ishq, infatuation, the calamities of this world come faster to you than fire burns wood. How fast does fire burn wood? Okay, you hear the crackling sound. Because faster than that, calamities will come. What do you think? Why would calamities come to this person quicker than anybody else? He explains further. He says, because the person who's in this category because you've sold your heart to somebody else, as a result of that, your heart becomes hard. And when your heart becomes hard, it becomes distant from Allah. And the further you are from Allah, the further you are from His mercy. And thus calamities come to you. And the calamities can come to anybody, even pious people. But you won't deal with them in a good way. That's not going to turn you to Allah. It's going to make you further and further and further and further away because the heart is very distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah protect us. Number six. He says the sixth harm of ishq, infatuation, haram love is if it sets in and it becomes strong, which it normally does right very quickly is it, it really corrupts the mind it messes you up in the head so much so that you're constantly getting whispers in the head in regards to her in regards to your situation you can't basically you can't think straight anymore you can't think straight because she's or he's whatever it is has taken over your mind it's and it drives you crazy and if you've spoken to people, or if you've been in this scenario, you will know exactly what I'm saying. It drives you mad, you're crazy, you can't, you just can't think straight because, because you've given so, you invested so much into it, into this haram relationship, that it's just driving you mad, it's driving you nuts, you're going crazy. He's saying, The most honorable thing in your body is your mind. That is what differentiates a human being from an animal. That Allah has given you the faculty of thinking, right? When that's taken over, he's saying, you're not a human anymore, you're an animal. He says, there's no difference then. Number seven. He says, what happens next is ishq, it corrupts your perception. In that perception we've been speaking about, 
the ability to differentiate between right and wrong. And there's a beautiful hadith. You know what? Love is blind. Yeah, we hear that normally. So the hadith actually says, The love of something makes you deaf and blind. So the hadith goes further. And he goes, this is so clear. We see this all the time. Uh, it's like, for example, When you desire, when you really want something, when you really want something, it's like when you go to buy something. Right, and you really want it. You've been reading about it, you've been studying about it, you've done all the research, remember, you may be minor, you, you believe that this is the best thing out there. And then you go, you take maybe a friend or a brother or a cousin or someone with you to go and get it. Now you're there, you're really hyped up about it, you've got all this info about it, and you're going to buy this thing, whether it's a car, whether it's a product, it doesn't matter what it is. What happens now? The guys who come with you have told you, have you seen the scratches? Have you seen? Look, it's damaged. Look, it's not as good as it looked in the pictures. Look, this, it's not what we thought it was. Look, I don't think it's going to be the right thing. Does he want to listen? No. When, you, when you've made your mind up, when you're in love with something, you're blind to the faults. People are telling you all around, she's not good for you. Okay, she's going to mess you up. She's like this, this or he's like this, or it's not going to work out. You, know, you don't want to listen. It doesn't mean anything to you. Everyone around you is telling you, don't do it, don't go for it, for X, Y, and Z reason. He goes that one of the problems, this is why ish is so dangerous, infatuation, it corrupts your perception. You can't think straight, you can't see. This is individual in front of you is so harmful that you never, you can't see the faults. You cannot see the faults. So like what, what we have buyer's remorse, you, 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 you know, you get everything and you get home and after some time, you know, what, what is it, what is it, what, what about what? Okay, it's too late then, it's too late, it's, it's the end of it, it's non-refundable, or 28 days have passed, okay, you're stuck with it, you can't return it anymore. It's only when that desire calms down, and then you think, oh, what have I got myself into? She's not even that good looking. Or what, how, what was I thinking? Exactly. Well, what was I? This is what we say. What was I thinking? You weren't. You weren't thinking at that time. Had you been thinking, you would not have been in this mess. So, the more infatuated you are, the more desire you have. That's how much of a veil there is on your eyes. You, start, you, you see any, you don't see any faults, nothing at all. And this is something that we have as well nowadays, is addiction to novelty. Addiction to novelty. Um, you know, you, you want to like, it has to be, you know, people get tired of doing the same kind of thing. It needs to be, it, it, again, it's a love of the external, of um, physical form and not substance. And this is something we're very kind of, um, we're faced with this all the time now in, in the kind of culture that we're living in at the moment. Now Imam Ibn Qayyim rahmatullah uh, under this particular number, what number was it, seven, that he says that you're blinded from it. What he says is, this is very interesting, The person who's inside a situation can't see the faults. When you're, when you're the person in that situation, you can't see the fault. 
similarly a person who's not been in that situation before also can't really see all of the faults as well it's quite profound and deep this is so if the person who's involved in the haram love they can't see the fault because they they're fully in love well supposed love superficial love and a person who's not in that scenario they can't really understand the full kind of um, harms and the problems with it as well they, they, they can see but they don't know exactly how bad it is except for that person who's been in that situation before and then come out of it yeah when ex-offenders come and speak to you why do why is it that we get like ex-offenders people who've been you know into gambling before people who've been into addiction before people who've been uh, maybe even murdered before people who've been into prison before why is it when they come and speak to youth right you get so many people and people are moved scholars are like screaming from the from the mihrab right don't do this don't do this and people are in one ear out of the other ear when you've got this guy full of tattoos, got ear piercings and everything, and what other piercings as well, and maybe dreadlocks and whatnot, who's now, you know, been in prison, served his time, repented, come to Islam, right? And he comes and he says a few words. Sometimes it's really powerful. And people are moved. And people are in tears. Why? He's been in it. And he brings an amazing statement here. He says, وَلِهَادَا كَانَ الصَّحَابَةَ الَّذِينَ دَخَلُوا فِي الْإِسْلَامِ بَعْدَ الْكُفْرِ خَيْرًا مِنَ الَّذِينَ وُلِدُوا فِي الْإِسْلَامِ He says, in this regard, those Sahaba who were in Kufr before and then entered Islam are better than those who were born in Islam. It's very profound what he's saying here. This is not something, you know, he's saying, this is quite deep. That someone who's been in it, right and they tell you that like, they've been this that they know exactly someone who's not been they'll tell you the harms but they've not experienced it themselves someone who's been there been there done that and when they speak to you okay take their advice because they've they've seen it inside out they know what it is and it's not all that and most people as you know after some time they will come out and oh, it's nothing that like look look at all these you've got so many celebrities and so many other famous people after years of living that kind of life, yeah, we don't want that. What is it? It's fake. It's, it's, it's nothing. So here Imam Ibn Qayyim they conclude speaking about uh, these harms of um, Ishq. Now I'm just going to mention one more thing before concluding. And he says, There are three stages of love. So when a person falls in love, there's three stages. Maqam ibtida, maqam tawassuk, maqam intiha. There's a beginning stage, there's a middle stage, and there's an end stage. Because when the beginning stage, when for example, you, let's take the canteen example again, it's a good one. So when you've gone there, okay, you've, you're carrying your tray, she's crossing by and you, you pass by. And that first glance, she's oblivious of it. She doesn't even know what's going on. You think, you think in your head, right? You think in your head that she did some kind of gesture to you, right? Now, and you've created all this, like, it, it, 
I'm saying it's slow. This happens really fast, doesn't it? Yeah, it happens really, really fast, and so many things are happening in the head. By the way, at the moment, nobody knows. It's just you in your head. Even she's got no clue of what's happening, right? And remember this because we're going to come back to this. So, in that scenario, when it first that first desire comes. At that moment, you have to try as hard as possible to push away that desire. Because that's the easiest. I don't, you might think it's hard. That's easier than doing it later. Afterwards, it's going to be impossible. Or next day, it's not impossible. It's going to be very hard. At that, whenever this arises in you, at that time he says, and this applies to everyone, married or not, just because someone's married, that doesn't mean that they don't fall into ish. Many people do. It happens, okay? And people are living two lives and all sorts of things. So a lot of time we talk about these things and people who are married kind of switch off. No, it's not about me, it's about the young ones, just the youngsters. It's, it's, this goes for everybody. So the big, this is the beginning stage. If, for example, that creeps into you, he goes, it's wajib upon you to push it away. Okay, think about something else, engage in something else, do something else. Don't let it grow. Don't fantasize about the idea. Because He goes, if you don't do that, if you don't push it away when it happens first, whether you see someone at work, whether in university, whether on the street, or whether you sit next to each other at the bus stop, Okay, it doesn't matter where it is. For in ajaza and dalik, if you don't do this and if you can't do this, So for example, someone doesn't stop here and your heart's like kind of going crazy now. And it is that it is beautiful the way it's explained because your heart starts traveling towards your ma'shuqa, okay, the one you have ishq for. Like what, what, what kind of risk is that? You, you've only just seen the person, not even properly yet. How, how can that, is there something called love at first sight? Is that, is that even, like that doesn't even exist. That's not even true. If you ask someone that's married, they'll tell you like love takes years to build. It takes years, true love. And then Imam Al-Qaim is telling us that even that's superficial, right? So what's this, uh, I'm in love, okay? Love at first sight, I'm crazy and this and that. It's, it's all a gimmick. It's like, it's a game. That's what he's saying. It's not true. But people kind of, you create that in your head in such a way and it drives you crazy, it controls you. So he says, if you don't stop it there, then it goes to the middle stage. Remember we said there were three stages. Beginning, middle, end. So beginning was that one, the continuum. What's happened now is you didn't push it away. So now what's happening is in your head, so you're having your whatever, beans and chips and whatever you're having right and you're sitting there having your drink and you're in your head you're thinking about her you're looking back okay trying to see if she's if you and then again you think oh yeah she just yeah she just looked at me again and she was calling somebody else she thought so the, in your head right you're kind of thinking oh yeah there's something going on here there's something going on here now he goes, now you've reached the middle stage and very quickly this can go to the end stage. So he goes, now what's your responsibility now? In the first scenario, what was wajib upon you? This is practical advice to push it away. Don't let it grow. Don't think about it. 
But because you thought about it, he's saying now, what's your duty now? You can't not you can't say to him, oh, don't think about it, because he's already thought about it. It's there. What's do you know what the duty is now? Beautiful advice. He goes, Fa'alehi kitmanudalik. Wa Allah yufshiyahu ilal khalq. Now your responsibility and your duty is something different. He says, now you have to hide it. Don't tell anybody about it. That's what he said. Don't tell anybody. And not only that, now you've sat down, okay, what happens after a couple of minutes, your mates come down, okay, they've come and sat down, one here, one there, one there, it's four of you, you're eating, your mind's going crazy, your heart's beating faster, you're looking around, one, what he's saying is don't say a word, okay, talk about something else. Talk about your lesson, talk about what we're going to do afterwards, talk about football, talk about, you know, what we're going to do on the weekend, whatnot. But, he goes, if you don't do that, instead, if you say, guys, guess what? And he goes, and then what you do is, he's saying, don't tell anyone, and the worst thing is for you to describe that, okay? If you sit there, he goes, guys, check it out, three o'clock. He goes, this is going to take you to the middle stage and then to the end very fast. Because, Remember before we said the dhulm part? He's going to explain what it means by doing dhulm. Right? He goes, now you're going to combine both these crimes. One is of the shirk, because your, your heart, your, your heart's soul, it's gone. You've given it away to someone without even knowing anything about her. You don't know anything about her. You've never seen her properly. And she didn't even look at you. She didn't even look at you. Right? So it's all in the head. It's crazy stuff this is. And he goes, the dhulm. Why? How can this be? What's the dhulm here? What is the dhulm here? Just by you sitting there and telling your friends, guys, look, three o'clock, check her out. Okay? They go, what are you talking about? Because he's wondering what happened. What happened? He goes, well, I came into the canteen, right? And you know, she proper like, she, she, she winked at me, she probably, you know. And what happens now, right? It, this, these are not my words. I know this is what happens, really happens. Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim, 700 years ago, right, he's putting it in here. He says, فَإِنَّهُ يُعَرِّضُ الْمَعْشُوبِ بِتَحْفِكَهِ فِي عِشْكِهِ إِلَى رُخُوِّ النَّاسِ فِي وَالْفِصَامِ إِلَى مُصَدِّقُ مُكَدِّبُ وَأَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ يُصَدِّقُ فِي هَادَ الْبَابِ بِأَدْنَا شُبْهَ he says, وَأَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ يُصَدِّقُ فِي هَذَا الْبَابِ بِأَدْنَا شُبْهَ He goes, in this regard, when it comes to ishq, people run, people run with the smallest information they run away. This is what he's saying. People, so now what's going to happen? Your mates are going to get up from them. Okay? And one of them goes, oh yeah, yeah. she's in my form. Now he's and he's gonna say, canteen in it. She's gonna what? You talking about? Next time he's gonna say, canteen. And this this is gonna now two people, three people. The other guys are gonna get the pastor, they're gonna say, canteen, canteen, canteen. And this this carries on happening. She's got no clue whatsoever. She's totally innocent. She has no clue whatsoever 
what these guys are talking about. Because of his mouth, and he said what happened in the canteen, what he thought happened, what's happening now is people, what's this canteen? Oh, guess what happened? Yeah, she did this to him in the canteen. Now this rumor spreads, and everyone's saying, canteen, canteen, canteen. When she comes, she finds canteen written on there. Someone's written on this post-it notes of canteen under her table. Uh, on the bus, people shouting canteen when she comes off. She's going crazy. What is going on? This poor girl, this is dull. This is dull, this is what he's saying, this dull. This poor girl has got no knowledge. And a lot of situations, this is how they start off. Nothing whatsoever. People run away. He goes, in this regard, and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah? People run a mile with nothing. Absolutely nothing. Someone just says something. Oh, guess what? You know, uh, you know what happened? And even regarding, we find it in the seerah. Th those of you who are aware, it's a lengthy story to go into it. But when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam on one occasion when he was coming back expeditions, Aisha radiallahu anha was with him as well. She, you know, he traveled. They also came with him, and she was quite young, as we know. And this was earlier on, and she wasn't very. She didn't have much weight. In her older age, she put a bit of weight on. But earlier, when the Prophet sallallahu was alive, she was very light. And the way they they would travel in something called a howdaj. So there'd be a camel. On top of a camel, they put this kind of um, what would you call it? A carriage. A carriage. And the carriage would have these sticks. And when you'd stop, two men would hold the front and two at the back. They'd lift it and they'd put it down. And respectfully, they'd lift the curtain. She'd come out, do whatever she needed to. When it's travel again, they'd lift the carriage on top of the horse, tie it up, and then they'd come and travel. So on this particular occasion, she came out. Sahaba had stopped, the Prophet Muslim stopped. And um, she went to answer the call of nature. When she answered the call of nature, her sister, who's a sister of Aisha, Asma, Asma had a necklace made of ivory. So she let Aisha borrow this necklace. Aisha was young. So she lost that necklace. So she came back, it was time to go. And she goes, oh no, I've lost the necklace. Let me go and look for it. So she went to look for the necklace. She's looking for the necklace. How do you find the necklace? Where could he have fell? Okay. He, they didn't have like torches like we have nowadays. Looking for it everywhere. Where am I going to find the necklace? In the meantime, what happened? The Sahaba arrived. It's time to leave. They think they saw Aisha coming back. Because she was very light. They didn't know she was not in the carriage. So they lifted the carriage. The carriage is heavy anyway. And they started to travel. The Prophet Sahaba think Aisha is in the carriage. So they carry on. When Aisha radiallahu comes back to that place, she realized, oh, where's everyone gone? They've gone with her. Okay, so now she starts walking and she comes to a tree. She didn't go too far. She wasn't scared. It shows you how, you know, these women are quite strong. She didn't have any fear. So she realized that everyone's gone. So, okay, they come back looking for me anyway. They're not going to forget about me. So she says that I sat next to a tree and I fell asleep. Like, she wasn't scared. She just sat there and she goes, I fell asleep. I went to sleep. She goes, the only thing that woke me up. Now, the Prophet had a practice whenever he would travel, he would always keep one or two people right behind, at a distance, behind the army, in case of this kind of situation. If someone's dropped something, someone's got left, someone's lost, someone coming from behind, he can kind of pick these things up and help people. So there's a Sahabi called Safwan bin Muhammad. He was the one who the Prophet 
to stay behind. So he come, he was coming much later. Aisha says the thing that woke I was zonked, knocked out. She says the only thing that woke me up is when I heard somebody say Inna li 